Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. On a day where the Houston Astros bring back Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez twirls the 16th no-hitter in franchise history. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, August 2nd. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, of course, we will talk about Framber Valdez, an amazing start by him. Sandy Alcantara coming around lately. What to do with three struggling outfielders, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, and Alex Verdugo. We'll talk about all of that. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Let's jump in. Can you believe it? Wow! You know there's only one place to start. Framber Valdez, baby, turns in the 16th no-hitter in franchise history, the first by a left-handed pitcher, and he only needed 93 pitches to get it done, the third fewest pitches for a no-hitter since pitches have been tracked, dating back to 1988. Shout out to Sarah Langs. That was a great set. Very fun. Uh, only one walk allowed, seven strikeouts here for Valdez, 16 swinging strikes on 93 pitches, all in on the curveball, 45% usage. He had 12 whiffs on that pitch, 36% CSW, and... Let's be honest, Framber Valdez was struggling lately. We thought maybe it was due to this ankle injury that he dealt with uh, at the end of June, early July. His previous five starts before this one, an ERA of seven on the nose, 1.67 whip, but obviously an amazing bounce back performance. Chris, you'll get the first word here on Framber Valdez's no hitter. I don't really have much to say. He's good. Right? Like, it, it, like <laughs> yeah, like. It's a lesson in start your studs. Like if you were freaked out about the last few starts and thinking about sitting him, 
that was a mistake, clearly. And this is one of those things where, like, it is lazy and frustrating from a analyst perspective and from a listener's perspective to just say, well, sometimes guys just have a couple of bad starts in a row and it doesn't mean anything. I understand that that can be frustrating to hear us say about a guy like Framber Valdez who does something like a 729 ERA in the month of July. Like you want an explanation. You want an answer for why he has been so bad and why he's wrecking your ERA. And I, But like sometimes just guys have bad starts and sometimes guys have three bad starts and it doesn't mean anything. You know, sometimes sometimes you flip a coin four times and heads comes up three times instead of two. And it doesn't mean anything. That's not all the time. There are reasons why players go on hot or cold stretches, and there are reasons why they may or may not be sustainable. But generally speaking, when you've got a player like Framber Valdez, who has a multi-year track record of being really, really good, I don't care about a few a couple of bad starts. I'm going to keep him in my lineup. And maybe there will be times like last week when I hate, having Framber Valdez in my line. I'm glad I didn't consider sitting him this week. Yeah, and I do think there was somewhat of an explanation. I brought up the ankle injury. You know, it could have been something that he's dealing with. I looked a little bit further into those previous five starts. Home runs were a bit of an issue. Walks were an issue during that time, which, let's be honest, Framber Valdez, he's had really great control this year, and it could have just been some regression. Uh, at this point in the season. So I think that's fine. Uh, the only, I guess, grain of salt comment here is it was a, I don't want to say historically bad. It might have been a historically bad Guardians lineup that he was facing. Uh, Steven Kwan, Tyler Freeman, Jose Ramirez, <laughs> that guy's good. Oscar Gonzalez batting cleanup, David Fry, Will Brennan, Gabriel Arias, Miles Straw, and Cam Gallagher. It's a pretty bad lineup, but still, it's a no-hitter, and it's awesome. Scott, any closing comments here on Fran Bravaldez? Uh Yeah. I think <clears throat> I've had a lot of thoughts over the last four minutes that I wasn't speaking, and now I'm struggling to figure out which ones need to come out to the surface. Uh, first, I was like seven, 16 no-hitters in Astros history. That yeah, that felt like, like a lot. lot for a team that's only been around 60 years, and I thought, oh, Nolan Ryan must have been responsible for several of them. But no, only one. There yeah, are some combined no-hitters. In there, a uh, couple with Christian Javier at the center of them, which makes sense. Um, yeah, but anyway. count. They did actually have 16 no-hitters, right? I didn't make that up. No, I have well, no idea. I didn't count it. I, I looked up the history of no-hitters. Anyway, you know, it was a busy four minutes, even though I wasn't talking. Yeah, I, I guess to add to Chris's point, because I wasn't really swayed to to sit Valdez either. It looks like he was started in 83% of leagues, still 83% of CBS Sports League, so it doesn't seem like many other people were swayed to sit him. Uh, at what point does a pitcher as high end as that? Like, how long do the struggles have to go on to begin to think about it? And I don't... It's, it's one of those questions that probably doesn't have a definitive answer. It, it, it's just kind of a feel thing. But um, I feel like it would have to be at least five, right? I mean, for me, like, I haven't thought about sitting Sandy Alcantara. And I know, like, I'm on the further edge of that. But I just, I, I tend to rank and start players with, a, with an eye on talent. Like, my, my thought, it's not always that. But I generally want to start 
my nine most talented pitchers and talent levels fluctuate. But generally speaking, it takes a long time for someone like Sandy Alcantara or Framber Valdez. It takes a long time for me to think that their talent level has changed. Like I've, I've, I've not been moved to, to assume Sandy Alcantara is a less talented player than he was coming into the season. There were reasons why he wasn't succeeding the same way he was. And that those, but like, I'm going to give those guys a long, long leash longer than you guys. You guys might be probably are better fantasy players than I am because of that, because you're more willing to be flexible, but there are certain instances where it works out that faith. I I will say, and there there are a couple of leagues where I have Sandy Alcantara and there have been a couple of times that I've sat him in each of those leagues, just because until very recently he hadn't strung together any stretch of success. But then he throws uh, but, together his two best starts of the season out of nowhere. Right. I mean, we are two-thirds of the way into this season. So it's like, now you do this? But what I was trying, what I was building up to say is that the couple times in each of the leagues, those leagues that I have sat him, usually because I had usually because I had somebody else I was excited to start. And I'm like, all right, I'll play it safe with Sandy Alcantara this week so that I can get this other guy in. I regretted it the couple times that I sat him. Like he, he would, he would go and have a good Sandy Alcantara start. So he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a, a singularity uh, with regard to this discussion because he is a presumed ace who, uh, two thirds of the way into the season, still has an ERA over four. But that ERA is coming down with his eight shutout innings here against the Phillies on Tuesday. He now has a 245 ERA in his last seven starts, does Sandy Alcantara. By the way, how fitting was it that he throws eight shutout innings against the Phillies and then <laughs> and then the closer blows it. The new closer, one of the, Honestly, the Phillies big uh, one of the Marlins big trade acquisitions, blows the win for him. Karmic retribution for waiting this long to start making trades. That's my thought. <laughs> they get they get punished for one game. Hopefully things get better now. Who was making trades in June? What the Marlins should have been. <laughs> Back when they were actually a good team. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how many uh how many other teams were willing to trade in June, even if the Marlins were. I don't yeah. know. I don't know the answer to that. All right. I have no idea. Well, Scott, we'll go right back to your oh my goodness gracious player of the night. All right. Let's talk about Andrew Haney. A teeny, if you couldn't tell. I don't know why I said it funny. But Andrew Heaney. <laughs> six shutout innings against the White Sox. 11 strikeouts against these White Sox. He looked dominant, as Andrew Heaney has been known to do from time to time, though it has been especially rare this season that he's done it. 11 strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes on 80 pitches, seven came on the fastball, eight came on the slider, which is interesting. It was a uh, a 47% whiff rate on that slider for this game. 47% versus 30% whiff rate on the slider for the season. And what also makes that interesting is Heaney's slider was down in velocity 1.6 miles per hour. So it was slower by about a mile per hour and a half. And yet it was much more effective in terms of generating whiffs and judging by the, the final line here for Heaney, effectiveness all around. It was a more effective slider. And 
you may remember that Heaney's breakthrough with the Dodgers last year was driven by uh, by him changing his slider, making it. He was one of the pitchers with whom the term sweeper first became attached. Was Andrew Heaney sweeper? You know, a, a, a slower kind of slider that has more horizontal movement. Uh, so I wonder if he. I wonder if there was a tweak to his slider in this start that was intentional and that helped him look more like his 2022 self. It re- is reminiscent of the change we saw with Reed Detmer's slider, similar drop in velocity, about 1.5 miles per hour, that saw him suddenly improve. Now, Detmer's has kind of fallen off in recent starts while still having that slower slider. So I don't know if that improvement is going to be longstanding for him. But I do think for an August, for, for a random start in August, there are enough interesting things to consider here with Andrew Heaney that it's worth pointing out. I, I will also point out one change that he's made last year, he was basically just forcing fastball and slider. You know, he threw the change with about 5% of the time. This season has been up to 18%. And, and typically you throw the change up more to neutralize the uh, platoon advantage that right-handed hitters have, but he hasn't really been any better against righties this season than he was last year. So I don't know how much that was actually helping. His changeup has been by pretty much every metric, his worst pitch. And so I, I, I do think the fact that he threw it 8% of the time, which is less than half as often as he typically throws it, I don't know if that's an explanation for why he was better in this one, but it's it makes sense given that that's been such a weak pitch for him. Scott, my only rebuttal to your slider analysis, I do think it's interesting and worth noting that the velocity was down and, and obviously it was much better in this one, but he averaged 80.8 miles per hour on the slider in this start, and last year was 83 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So I know, you know he was kind of throwing it more sweeping and... Maybe it was slighter than it was slower than previous years, but um, yeah, I guess the velocity just doesn't really line up with last year either. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I like looked a- through his game log this year because you know there have been a few, a few impressive starts like this from Heaney this year to see if uh, fluctuations in slider velocity matched up to performance, and they did not really. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's a lot more I could get into as I could with any player, but I've, we've already talked about Heaney for eight minutes, so. Right. I thought it was time to cut it off. He is 65% rostered. Looks like he's at the Oakland A's next week. Obviously, things are changing vastly at the moment right now with pitching staffs and, and lining pitchers up. Uh, but he is part of a group of waiver wire pitchers we'll get to in just a little bit. Chris, you're uh, oh my goodness gracious player of the night. Juan Succo. I, I think we can officially retire the Juan Succo moniker. He had an 800 OPS in April and earned the Juan Succo, Succo moniker, but Juan Soto had two home runs today. He has just been absolutely absurd basically since the start of March, I think, or sorry, start of May. Uh, he's had, he had an 1100 OPS in May, 914 in June, 959 in July, and opens up August with two home runs. He's been spectacular for most of the season. 
There is a contingent of baseball fans and fantasy baseball players who want Juan Soto to not be a good player. And unfortunately for you guys, he is very, very good. It's the same thing we did with Joey Votto like 14 years ago or whatever when people wanted him to be a different player than he was. There are things in Juan Soto's profile that can make him a less than elite fantasy option. I can grant that. He might be one of the three best hitters in baseball and one of only like the 12 best hitters in fantasy baseball. That's fine. He's still one of the 12 best hitters in fantasy baseball. If you took advantage of people overreacting to his slow start, congratulations. You are probably doing really well in fantasy baseball this year. And he might be one of the, you know, five or six best hitters in a points league. It's just in Roto, his stats don't translate as much because he doesn't really steal bases. But uh, yeah, look, right now he's on pace for 30 home runs. This was actually before the two home run game. So entering Mm -hmm. Tuesday, Juan Soto was on pace for 30 homers, 91 runs, 97 RBI and nine steals. You know, if he was a little bit better in the month of April, those counting stats would look even better. He's probably, you know, up over 100 runs, up over 100 RBI since the start of May, batting 300. So he's looked a lot like Juan Soto. And, you know, we've had this recent report that he's been dealing with a thumb injury dating back to spring training as well. So it's not a thumb. It's a middle finger, baby. Oh, fitting. So you they know, gave an MRI to his middle finger and he gave that MRI the middle finger. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> because the results were not that impressive, apparently. I do want to say that like when when Juan Soto fever was at its highest, it was so, he, he hit please. Three, he hit three fifty one in twenty twenty. He hit three thirteen in uh in twenty twenty one. So he looked like he was becoming a elite batting average guy. So the year before that 351 batting average, he hit 282. And this year, his batting average is, what, around 275? 275 now. Mm-hmm. So, and it may, it may be that that really high batting average is like his 80th, 90th percentile outcome. And the 275 batting average is more like his 50th percentile outcome. And that's a really good 50th percentile outcome. But like to, to further the idea that maybe in in five by five category leagues, he's not a slam dunk first rounder. Um, well, it looked like he was when he was going to hit 320. Sure. He only hits 280. Okay, maybe not. Sure. What I think, like, what happens is I think, like, in Juan Soto's case, he became the number one pick, right? Like, going into the 2021 season, I think he was kind of maybe not the consensus number one pick, but certainly a lot of people's number one player coming off that huge 2020 partial season and so there's always a little bit of pushback when a player disappoints and maybe gets elevated a little higher than they should be. i'm fine granting that in a roto league juan soto might be more like a late first early second round player but like even that was a controversial statement in our uh, comments and and twitter mentions two months ago so i just want to just want to put that out there juan Soto's awesome manny machado's also like been a 45 homer pace since the start of June. Mm-hmm. Give give superstars the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, especially for guys that have done it for, you know, a handful of years or or even more in the case yeah, of Manny Machado. Like Machado. Yeah. yeah, Machado. Like since he's returned from the IL, he's basically been Manny Machado. He's been amazing. Oh my goodness gracious, offense of the night. The Cubs, they put up 20 runs on 21 hits in a huge divisional matchup against the Cincinnati Reds. 
few standout performers in that game. Dansby Swanson went two for four with a double dong. He had five RBI and is up to 15 home runs on the season, even with uh, an IL stint in there. And 10 games since returning from the IL, Dansby Swanson batting 333 with five home runs. So could be a big second half here for him. Cody Bellinger just continues to do it. He is He's doing it. Three for six with a sock and a shoe. His 16th home run, his 13th steal of the season. Mike Talkman, two for three with two walks, a sock, and a shoe. The sock man, sixth home run, fourth steal in 58 games. He's 10% rostered. And Jamer Candelario uh, had a nice debut here with the Cubs, four for five with a double and two runs scored. He's got the only player that's available here is Mike Talkman and he's Mike Talkman. So is, is there yeah. anything to see here? Is it like 15 team, five outfielder leagues is even worth rostering there? Um, probably not. No. I mean, there's just not, there's just, he, he, he hits high in the lineup. He gets on base at a nice rate. And that's basically it. It's, it's, it's in terms of five by five categories leagues. It's, it's some hollow, it's a hollow on base percentage for Mike Talkman. So I would not concern myself with him. I do want to point out a couple things here. Okay. Um, just when he thought Bellinger might be slowing down three for 13 in his previous four games, he has this monster performance <laughs> three for six, six with a home run and stolen base. Dansby Swanson, even with the recent time on the IL, up to 15 home runs now. Pretty good. And finally, Candelario did not start at third base like we expected. He started at first base, mm. which means Matt Mervis might have to continue to bide his time in the minors, which is unfortunate. And I'm not saying no, just because just because Candelario started at, at, at first base in his Cubs debut doesn't mean that's the only position he's going to play for them. But who started at third? Nick uh, Madrigal. Yeah. The Madrigal. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. The box score has him at second base, but I think he got moved there later on. Yeah. Um, so, and, and to be fair, I, I think part of the reason I was expecting Matt Mervis to return soon is because I was expecting the Cubs to sell at the deadline and, and they didn't. And so they may not want to, uh, they they may not want to let him sink or swim while they're still in the middle of a, a the playoff hunt. Fair enough, uh, but it was I was discouraged to see Candelario at first base as somebody who wants to see Mervis come back up and and hopefully turn into something. I will also mention because I just thought of this today. I I don't know why I was under the impression Jamer Candelario had been out of Detroit for a couple years now. But no, this was his first. This is his first year out of Detroit. Yeah, and Detroit is a very, very tough place to hit. A very tough place to hit. A very uh, one of the most suppressive offensive environments in baseball. We saw what happened to Nick Castellanos when he got out of there, and and so I wonder, I wonder if there may be more to this season for Candelaria than I've been giving credit for. Yeah, like he is, I was looking this up the other day when he got traded. His OPS this season is 128. That's actually the second highest of his career. 2020 is the highest, so we can just say this is the best of his career. His overall OPS plus uh, since 2020 is like 115. 
which is solidly above average, which I was surprised by. But then it's again, you put up a 795 OPS in Detroit in 2021. That's a 121 OPS plus. So, yeah, that there is something to, you know, a an 850 OPS in Washington or an 830, whatever, probably looking more like a 775 OPS in Detroit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say this in part because when we were talking, when he got traded, Frank and I were that he's a top 10 third baseman in points leagues right now. And what, what if his numbers are going to regress? I, 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 I think there is room for both the batting average and the home run rate to regress based on his track record, based on what the, uh, the Statcast data shows, but it's not so far outside the norm to think it absolutely will regress for Jamer Candelario. So I don't know. I'm 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 a bit torn on him. I would not bet on him being a top ten third baseman in points leagues the rest of the way, but it it's not so far fetched either. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good park too, right? In, in Wrigley Field mm-hmm. too. So that in conjunction with the lineup, that's. You know, it's kind of a pesky lineup. They they have guys that have performed really well this year. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Jamer Candelario up to 78% rostered. This was his first start at first base this season. So uh, he will need at least four more to gain that eligibility in CBS. But perhaps he will with the Chicago Cubs. Who was the poor pitcher for the Reds in this one? Ben Lively. He allowed 13 earned runs over four innings pitched. His ERA jumped up to 5.20 on the season. It That's just like, man, sometimes regression catches you all at like, like we, we've had debates on this podcast about like the concept of like, are you due is a player who's doing really, really well. Is he due for a cold streak? And like, no, that's not how it works. But yeah, Ben Lively's probably more like a five ERA pitcher than the guy he's been this season. And suddenly one start later, that's what he is. Sometimes it works out that way. What do you think the hitter equivalent of, is of this, Chris? Is it like, Going seven straight games without a hit or something. It's yeah, like a three homer game, something like that. I mean, it, it's it's hard to do anything this late in the season that rises your ERA a run and a half, right? Which is basically what happened with Ben Lively. Uh, takes a, a special combination of ineptitude and confidence from your manager to leave you in for four innings to wear it when you're struggling like that. It was also a big day of offense for the Orioles, who put up 13 runs on 16 hits. Ryan Mountcastle stays hot. He went three for four with two doubles, a walk, three runs, and two RBI. He had four hard hits in this game, including two over 108 miles per hour exit velocity. Anthony Santander went three for four with his 19th home run. It was a grand slam. He also had four hard hits in this game. And Gunnar Henderson... Also stays hot three for five with his 18th home run for RBI. Ryan Mountcastle up to 76% rostered. And kind of wish we could could have gotten him out of Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, he is someone who the past two years, his quality of contact has been elite. Now, it kind of stinks that he has that big cutout piece in left field in Camden, but... You know, even with that lineup around him, it, it might not matter. I mean, these counting stats, if he's batting, you know, second or third in this lineup. Might be really, really good for Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, especially since it's a weak position. And I guess that's worth mentioning with Candelario, too. If he is going to play first base primarily for the Cubs, then he'll pick up eligibility there, and that'll make him even more useful. But back to Mountcastle. Uh, Yeah, he's been... 
He's been a player I've had a hard time with from the beginning because he is not a disciplined hitter at all, and I really dislike that quality in, in hitters. And, you know, once he started putting up these primo exit velocities, <laughs> Baltimore Camden Yards became one of the most power-suppressing parks for a right-handed hitter. But first base being in the state it's in, I see plenty of use for Mountcastle, even in leagues that don't have the extra corner infield spot. Mm-hmm. I was looking at, you know, yesterday, Scott, we said we would drop Rizzo for Ryan Mountcastle. Other names that are rostered in more leagues, Andrew Vaughn, I think I would make that swap. Yep. Yes. He's 88% rostered. Uh, Ty France, 84% rostered. Easily. He's Easily. Been, he's um, been horrible. And, you know, I guess Hunter Renfro is kind of a similar player to Ryan Mountcastle, but I might make that swap. I guess. Yeah. Just, to, to put some context on all the stuff that we've talked about, over the past two seasons, Ryan Mountcastle has underperformed his expected WOBA by 45 points. That is the highest mark in the majors amongst anyone with at least 500 plate appearances. He looks like a context-neutral, I would say at least fringe all-star kind of player. And he's just, it's going to be really hard for him to be that in Baltimore. I think he can be a 250-22 homer, like a, I don't know, a Ryan McMahon type. Uh, and, you know, putting two context neutral extremes out there. I think he could be that kind of player. I think he could be a lot more than that in a different environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you said 22 home runs. That's exactly what he hit last year. His expected home runs Mm -hmm. were 27. So, you know, with that new deep wall in left field in Camden, it, it really has suppressed some power here for Ryan Mountcastle, unfortunately. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get into some waiver wire pitchers. We'll do that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We take 
the biggest news, notes, performers of the day. We talk about it in just five minutes every single day. So you can listen to that in addition to our full-length podcast here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's talk waiver wire pitchers. Scott, you mentioned the biggest standout of the night, Andrew Heaney with his 11 strikeouts. A few other names, uh, Gavin Williams. He was only solid uh, at the Houston Astros, five innings, two runs, six strikeouts, but his velocity was up a crazy amount across the board. I mean, fastball was up over one mile per hour, slider up three miles per hour, curve up two and a half miles per hour. I thought it was pretty interesting on Gavin Williams. Jose Quintana, back-to-back quality starts. He was at the Royals, six and two-thirds innings, three runs, two strikeouts there. Miles Michaelis pitched well against the Twins, though most pitchers do that. Seven innings, three runs, two of those earned with seven strikeouts. And Johan Oviedo takes advantage of a strong matchup Against the Tigers, seven innings, one run, five strikeouts for him. Scott, we've got five names here. Oviedo, Michaelis, Quintana, Gavin Williams, and Andrew Heaney. Who are your three favorites of that group? My three favorites. I will preface this by saying Heaney has, Andrew Heaney has more upside than, than most of the pitchers on this list. Although Gavin Williams, I would say. I'm not going to put Heaney among my three favorites because it's August and I have no reason to trust him. So I will say my top three from this list are... Ah, crap. He probably is going to end up third. (laughs) (laughs) Gavin Williams, Miles Michaelis, and Andrew Heaney. So I I think Jose Quintana can become a part of the glob, and I mean that in a good way because clearly he doesn't have a ton of upside. So all a pitcher of his standing can aim for is being part of the glob. But the, the, the real issue for him is, will he be able to work six innings consistently enough that you can stomach the bad starts when they come? And I have a real question about that for Quintana, given his performance the last couple of years. But in his last two starts, he has managed to go six plus, and that's a good sign. Chris, would you take uh, Nick Pavetta and Seth Lugo? Those were the two names Scott and I spoke about yesterday. Uh, Pavetta coming off a double-digit strikeout start, and Seth Lugo, You know, we consistently talk about how under-rostered he is in fantasy. Uh, would you take both of those names ahead of all of the five that I just mentioned here? Yeah, I mean, Scott said it's August and he can't trust Andrew Heaney to put, put it together. It's the August of Nick Pavetta's career. Yeah. And I... I have strong doubts that he will be able to sustain his recent performance. We've seen stretches like this from him before, and it has never proven even remotely sustainable. I I think I'd rather have Seth Lugo than any of the guys we're talking about. Um, that's fair. I might put Pavetta second, but that's more an illustration of my lack of faith in the rest of them. But, like, if I have Gavin Williams and Nick Pavetta's out there, I'm not dropping Gavin Williams for him. I'm still chasing the upside for that one. All yeah, right. no, I agree with all of that. I, I do want to say, though, for Pavetta, who obviously didn't pitch today, but, you know, he had the 10 strikeouts and in seven innings at Seattle Monday, and, you know, his, his two longest outings recently, 10 strikeouts and in seven innings, 13 strikeouts and six no-hit innings. So he's been doing some very impressive things, even when he's extended to a full starter's workload. Um, because it's August, there is only, much, only so much you can reasonably expect to find on the waiver wire. 
and it's hard to imagine you're going to find anything more enticing than that. Take Seth Lugo over him, fair enough. Take Gavin Williams over him, fair enough. But if you're looking to hit a home run off the waiver wire in August, I, I don't think you can afford to ignore a guy who in his last seven appearances has a 201 ERA, 070 whip, 14.4K per nine, especially when the two longest of those appearances have arguably been the most impressive of all. Speaking of home runs... We've got to talk about Bryce Miller because he is allowing a lot of home runs right now. Back-to-back starts, allowing six earned runs. It's actually the fourth time this season he has allowed six or more runs in a start. And the ERA jumps to 4.35. He still does have a great whip at 104, but that's because he doesn't walk anyone. He gives up a lot of fly balls, so not a lot of hits. But when he does give up hits, they're usually home runs. He's 90% rostered. Chris, would you drop Bryce Miller for... Any of the names we just mentioned, that's seven pitchers, five from today and the two from yesterday. I don't think so. I, I struggle. I've struggled with Bryce Miller from when he had the historic start. I'm struggling with him now that he's really struggling because he was never as good as his historic start. He's probably not this bad. What's interesting is he's mixing his pitches up a lot more than he did early on. And it's, I don't know if you can say it's leading to struggles because his his fastball got hit really hard today too. 96.6 mile per hour average exit velocity on 10 balls in play. That's really bad for a fastball. That's really bad for any pitch. Um, so I don't know if you can say the fact that he's throwing his slider and change up more is leading to his struggles uh, as much as they are coinciding with. They're not solving his struggles. And I think it's an interesting dilemma because I think Bryce Miller, as currently constructed, might be a better pitcher throwing 75% of his pitches for fastballs, even though I think it's probably probably means he's more like a four ERA pitcher if he does that. Whereas figuring out how to throw the slider and how to throw the changeup and making those pitches effective probably gives him a higher ceiling in the long term. Might make him a worse pitcher right now. So it's a really interesting situation of trying to balance those things. But, you know, there was the quote early on where I'm only throwing my fastball because I haven't needed any of my other pitches. Turns out it wasn't necessarily a choice and he was just doing some bravado. But I still think there's a ton of upside. He's clearly super talented. The fastball is a very, very good pitch. And it's just a question of figuring out how to make probably the slider work um and i would rather roll the dice especially if i don't need a starter right now i would rather roll the dice on him than any of the other guys we mentioned if i need a starter give me seth lugo over him i was gonna say if there's one i I might drop bryce miller for seth lugo i think that's probably the closest one on the list two other names uh in Deeper leagues, one in deep leagues, one in the deepest of leagues. Hyunjin Ryu made his debut. Not great. Just wanted to read off his line. Five innings, nine hits, four runs allowed up against the Baltimore Orioles. And get ready for this one. Jesse Schultens getting a chance to start for the White Sox. Turns in his first quality start of his career at the Texas Rangers. It's impressive. You know, it's tough matchup, tough place to pitch. Six innings, one run, six strikeouts for him. Uh, Scott, anything here on Ryu's debut and Jesse Schultons? Ryu's uh, velocity seemed fine. Seemed pretty 
much like the last time we saw him. So that gives me some hope that maybe he could put something together. I'm not optimistic. I would, I've not made him a high priority off the waiver wire, and this start certainly isn't going to change that. But there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance for Hyunjin Ryu. As for Schultons, he was one of two pitchers who I feel like just had, just took advantage of the element of surprise today. Like probably <laughs> the the whole world found out, including himself, found out he was making a major league start today. And uh, I don't even know if that's true. I don't know when the White Sox announced him, but I did not expect to see the name Schultons when I looked at the White Sox box score today. I did not expect to see the name Pedro Avila, right? Or was it Avilo? I think it was Avila. Avila. Pedro Avila, when I looked at the Padres box score today. Avila. Pedro Avila. And uh, and and Jesse Schultons. I did not expect to see either of those names in the box score today. They both put up terrific stat lines. I go look at their minor league track records. I am greatly underwhelmed. <laughs> and I think we can ignore them. All right. We spoke about Sandy Alcantara a bit at the top. Uh, Back-to-back starts of at least eight innings. He faced the Phillies. Eight shutout with five strikeouts there. Still did allow nine hard hits in this game. Slider velocity up nearly two miles per hour in this start. Chris, did you have anything else you wanted to add on Sandy's back-to-back strong starts? Uh, He's throwing his sinker and his fastball, his four-seamer a little less. I I think the sinker's been part of his problem, especially against lefties, so... I don't think that's a bad thing, but no, I, I haven't I haven't had a good explanation for why he struggled. I don't have a good explanation for why he's been good the last two starts. I just expect him to be good moving forward. All right. What to do with these three outfielders getting questions on George Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, and Alex Verdugo. Springer went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts on Tuesday and is down to a 246 batting average and a 694 OPS on the season. Still does have 13 home runs and 13 steals. Still 100% rostered. Uh, He has been benched in 14% of CBS leagues. Scott, do you think this is just a cold stretch? Is it just a down season? Is George Springer getting old? He's he's 33 (laughs) years old now. Uh, But it's it's been a disappointing year. Yeah, it has. And... I'm looking at what is... Where he actually is in, in terms of production. Uh... Pretty high. I'm, I'm surprised to hear how low his OPS is, a sub-700 OPS, mm-hmm. because he has been a pretty productive fantasy player this year. I'm just looking at uh, total fantasy points. He's right between Jake Fraley and Nick Castellanos, who are two players, I think. You know, Fraley's got the, the platoon thing going on, but otherwise people are pretty happy starting those two. So should they be happy to start Springer as well? I would think so. It's... Certainly not the sort of stat line we've come to expect from Springer over the years. I do think there may be there may be a couple things at play here. One is that Toronto has become a surprisingly difficult place to hit. This mm-hmm. is especially true for left-handed batters, which Springer isn't. But I think it might help explain what's going on with Vladimir Guerrero, too. What's gone on with him for the past couple years, actually. Uh, it it's sort of like Camden Yards used to have a reputation as being a launching pad. It didn't make the sort of configuration change, exaggerated configuration changes that the Orioles did to Camden Yards. But for whatever reason, it's just not playing like a, a hitter's park anymore and instead going the other way. The other thing that might be happening for George Springer is 
for all his power production over the years, he wasn't, he isn't a guy who's made high quality contact. Mm-hmm. It's been sort of like Chris Bryant, yep. where he's, he's, he's delivered the home run totals of a, of a slugger, but doesn't really have the exit velocities to back it up. And I just wonder in, a post juice ball league, whatever that even means anymore, because I know it's 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 hard to define exactly what has started when and what has ended when. The ball doesn't carry as well as it did for most of George Springer's prime. I think it's fair to say. And is that catching up to him now? Uh, maybe. He's also not pulling the ball the same way he used to, especially last season. But like a seven forty five OPS would be a disappointing outcome for George Springer but we probably wouldn't be talking about dropping him. And that's what his OPS was nine games ago. He's been hitless for eight straight games. And that's really bad. And that hurts your numbers. I'm not downplaying the pain that that is causing you, fantasy baseball players. It is just to say that he's in a really, really cold streak right now. And that is exaggerating his struggles overall. Chris, we just figured it out. This is the Spider-Man meme of Ben Lively, Lively giving up 13 runs for a there pitcher. Is George Springer going hitless for eight straight games? And and this is where we're at. A, you know, a sub-250 batting average, a, a sub-700 OPS. I was going to say Randy Arozarena's July, but... Oof, yeah. Not- yeah, Springer hit like 180 in July, so same difference. Yeah. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez was out of the lineup Tuesday for the Mariners, and down season for him as well. You know, in terms of home runs and counting stats, it doesn't look so bad. 16 home runs, 59 RBI, 5 steals, but 238 batting average, 694 OPS, a 32% strikeout rate for Teoscar Hernandez. He's still 94% rostered, 75% started. Chris, your thoughts on Teoscar? I mean, we're getting questions whether or not to drop him. What do you think? I, I think this is a more clear example of a guy being in decline than George Springer. And I think part of that's just, even though Teoscar Hernandez is a little younger, he's got a much more volatile an inherently volatile skill set because he strikes out a lot. Even before it spiked to 32% this season, he's uh, really, really struggling with breaking balls in particular this year. That's kind of always been an issue for him, but he's not making up for it in other ways. He's underperforming his expected stats, but he's also, his expected stats are the worst they've been since 2019. So I don't think we can just say there's bad luck here. I, I think this is a more clear example. And, and I think his I think his defensive numbers have really tanked as well. So that, that suggests to me that there's just an overall decline here for Teoscar Hernandez. Would you drop Teoscar Hernandez for any of Lars Nupar, Chaz McCormick, Marcelo Zuna? I... Wouldn't think so. I maybe Ozuna in a roto league. I think because he's giving you the kind of production you hope for from Teoscar Hernandez, at least as a hitter. Uh, but I'm not super compelled to make that move. In a points league, I might do it for Newbar. He had a really good July, and yeah. sure, I, I'd do it. I'd do it for any of them in a points league, a three outfielder league. Yeah. I feel like outfielders are so interchangeable, and I don't think Teoscar Hernandez in August, you know, deserves deserves to be regarded as more than like an Ozuna level bat based on what he's how he's performed this year. Last name on the list is Alex Verdugo, who actually went one for three with his eighth home run on Tuesday. But that's exactly it. His 
eighth home run on Tuesday. He got off to a great start, but he's kind of slowed down, and he's back to being Alex Verdugo. Uh, was awful in July, 151 batting average with a 479 OPS. Scott, are you keeping the faith on Verdugo, who typically is a very good points lead player, or is it time to maybe move on to some of those other names, Lars Newbar, Chaz McCormick types? Yeah, I'd swap him out for the hot hand. I'd be fine with that. I don't think his the, the upside is high enough for him to get uh, for for you to be especially patient with him, especially at this point in the season, it, it I couldn't imagine dropping him in a five outfielder league. That probably goes without saying, just because you have to go so much deeper into the outfield pool. Yeah, but in in the typical five outfielder league, you're talking about a roto league, and that's Verdugo's lesser format anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's take our final break, and when we return, I don't know how I did this, but I haven't read the news yet, and we're 45 minutes in, so we'll do that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Let's hit the news and notes. Aaron Judge was at DH Tuesday because he's managing soreness in his toe and... Some people have asked us about this on Twitter. Is there a chance you think the Yankees shut down Judge early if they completely fall out of it? There's a chance. These things happen sometimes in September. That's why some leagues like to end before September. (laughs) I don't endorse that, but other people would. I think even more than the Yankees shutting him down, he might just re-injure himself. I mean, this is been a pretty big issue and it sounds like he needs to have surgery in the offseason for this toe injury as well so it might just get to the point where it's just the pain is too much and he just has to go back on the IL so uh, we'll see but doesn't sound great right now for Aaron Judge. Bo Bichette's MRI revealed inflammation in his right knee and is listed as day-to-day. It could have been much worse so um, it's kind of a weird way to phrase that but I guess thank your lucky stars if you have Bo Bichette on your fantasy team. Cedric Mullins is expected to rejoin the Orioles in 10 to 14 days. Brendan Donovan will undergo season-ending surgery to repair a torn flexor in his right arm. Tommy Edmond was reinstated as the corresponding move. Derek Gould, who covers the Cardinals for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, confirmed our suspicions earlier on our trade deadline special regarding top prospect Mason Wynn. It sounds like the Cardinals will wait until late August to promote Wynn in order to preserve his rookie status for 2024. So to be clear, Derek Gould is just speculating, right? There's no way he could possibly know that because if the Cardinals were to say that they would have, they're in trouble. They would have, uh, yeah, they would have to answer to someone for that. I mean, yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a successful service time grievance filed, even in the most 
obvious situations. Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant for instance, yeah. failed his, which was. Oh, no, I thought he, oh, I, I, he failed I it? Thought he, I thought his. I thought it was failed. successful. I don't know. It's not I'm relevant. <laughs> Uh, do we all have to look it up? I don't know. Uh, the Cubs, uh, they need uh, time to uh, ruled, ruled in the Cubs' favor. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'm happy we figured that out, <laughs> and hopefully, the, the Cardinals don't get in trouble. But, um, the point is, we'll probably see Mason win at some point this season. Max Scherzer will make his Rangers debut Thursday against the White Sox. Jordan Montgomery will make his Rangers debut Friday against the Marlins. Michael Lorenzen will make his Phillies debut Thursday at the Marlins. And Aaron Savali will make his Rays debut Saturday against the Tigers. All four with pretty soft landings with their new teams. Wait, why haven't we talked about the trades, Frank? Didn't you know there were a bunch of <laughs> trades happening? Is the trade deadline? Like, how are we 49 minutes in and we haven't addressed a single trade? <laughs> It's a good point. It's probably something the host should bring up and mention. We did do an entire podcast on all the trades. So if you want to check that uh, out, it's in your podcast feed. It's on YouTube. It's nearly an hour long of us breaking down all the trades. Justin Verlander, Lorenzen, uh, everything else that happened here on Tuesday. So go I check that I'd out. I dream that. Sorry. <laughs> you might be. It's been a long season. It's been a very long day, Scott. Red Sox manager Alex Cora indicated, indicated Tuesday that Trevor's story is not a lock to be reinstated from the IL this weekend. He did not appear to suffer a setback, but it sounds like they're just being overly cautious. Josh Naylor was scratched from the lineup due to right side tightness. Justin Turner out of the lineup with a left heel contusion. JT Realmuto held out with a cut on his right hand. JD Martinez also out of the lineup with left hamstring tightness. And Brandon Nimmo scratched with quad tightness. Mets manager Buck Showalter said Starling Marte could be activated on Wednesday. Marte participated in a full round of pregame batting practice on Tuesday and is finally symptom-free following a string of migraine headaches. Griffin Canning was placed in the aisle with right, right calf tightness. Cabrian Hayes was reinstated but was not in the Pirates lineup on Tuesday, which kind of weird in my opinion. Uh, G. Juan Bay began a rehab assignment at AAA on Tuesday. He's been out since July 2nd with a left ankle injury. Tyler McGill and David Peterson are likely to rejoin the Mets rotation to replace Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. That's a big shoes to fill, I guess. The Mariners wasted no time getting their new additions in the lineup. Dominic Canzone started in right field, and Josh Rojas started at second base. Colton Wong was DFA'd as a result. AJ Pollock was activated by the Giants. Marco Luciano was optioned back to AAA. And this was pretty interesting. MLB made a scoring change in the July 16th Red Sox-Cubs game. Connor Wong's double in the fifth has been changed to a two-base error on Nico Horner. And as a result, five runs that were charged to Justin Steele in the inning are now all unearned. So his ERA went from 287 to 246 entering his wow. start on Tuesday. And frankly, honestly, if you had a close matchup in head-to-head points leagues, you might want to go back and check because it could change some things. So, Well, do you, do you, do you know that? Do you know how that's supposed to work? No, I, I mean, I completely just made it up, but I, I assumed that it, <laughs> it would be changed. I don't know for sure, for certain. Oh, man. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have him in my Roto League, so I'm not going to benefit from this one. I do have him in a points league. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check that one and raise a, raise a ruckus. Uh, uh, somebody's going to raise a ruckus over this. I can be sure of that. Me. I'm too lazy for that. Uh-oh. I mean... Their steel is liable to regress even harder now. 246 <laughs> ERA. Oof. Sell high. 
Sell high, says Scout Way. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here. Let's talk about Carlos Rodon. More struggles with uh, the I, I beat Scott in the one league where I've got Justin Steele in a points league, so it's not it's not worth fighting over. There you go. I, you, I beat him bad, too. It was like a 60-point. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> a bit more. Let's talk about Carlos Rodon. Struggled with control once again, facing Tampa Bay. Oh, man, remember, the Rays struggling so much in July. All they needed to do was face the lowly New York Yankees. Uh, Carlos Rodon allowed four runs over four innings pitched. He allowed four walks and two home runs. I don't care what pitcher you are. If <laughs> you walk four and you give up two home runs, chances are you are not going to be a successful pitcher. He has failed to complete six innings in any of his five starts. Uh, Chris, you and I spoke extensively about Carlos Rodon last week. But Scott, you haven't had the chance to opine your thoughts on uh, the Carlos Rodon struggles. Well, he obviously hasn't been very good. I didn't feel like he had been bad enough that uh, with with two starts upcoming this week, you should sit him. I felt like he was right around the target. And so hopefully that meant he was about to hit the target. Uh, he didn't in this start, obviously. And we'll see how the next one goes, but... Now that the two-start week is hopefully in our rearview mirror and the next one isn't coming up for a while, I think I'm to the point where I'm just going to sit Rodon until he looks like Rodon again. Well, bad news because he has to face the Astros lineup this weekend with Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez back in there, and everybody else in that Astros I mean, lineup. that, that so. means he's going to strike out 10 in six innings. You know that. I hope you're right because I started him in a few spots and I don't really have a choice right now. So let's go, Carlos Rodon. Trey Turner, we haven't talked about in a while, probably since our, I don't know, two-round redraft for the rest of the season, and continues to be a disaster. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts on Tuesday. He's down to a 240 batting average, currently on pace for 15 home runs and 32 steals, only 52 RBI as well. Uh, first year of a mega deal in a big city. Maybe that means we buy low next year if you know we're getting any kind of discount. But Chris, I was thinking about this. Trey Turner is... Probably the biggest early round bust this year, right? I, I don't really think it's close. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. Uh, he had a decent June and looked like he may be starting to turn things around. Stole 11 bases in that month, hit three home runs, hit 279. And July was terrible. He had three steals. He hit 218. So any momentum there is gone. I And I don't really have much positive to point to he's underperformed his expected stats a little but he's also posting the worst expected stats of his career so it's not like that's a real reason for optimism i i have to believe that he'll bounce back at some point whether it's in august or september or in 2024 but i can't give you a good reason for it except that it's trey turner yeah I was actually just, I, I did a dynasty stock watch, which I try to do once a month during the season. Five risers, five prospect risers, and then five fallers. Trey Turner was among my five fallers for the, the one I just wrote Monday. I think, he hold, I think Corey Seager holds more dynasty value than him right now. Francisco Lindor, certainly like a Bobby Witt. And I know... We're not necessarily talking dynasty. We're talking next year. And it's a little early to have that conversation because obviously August and September could change things. But I, I think what we have to consider with Trey Turner is, uh, okay, maybe he's not the 240 hitter he's been so far. I'm, I'm skeptical that he's that bad. 
but is he going to hit 320 again? Or is he, you know, when you look at his chase rate going up, his whiff rate going up, his his in-zone contact rate going up, has he lost some of that quick twitch that made him so valuable in his 20s now that he's into his 30s? Um, and will that make him more like a baseline 270 hitter? Because if he's a baseline 270 to, to, to 280 hitter, let's say, so what was doing a lot of the the heavy lifting for Trey Turner to make him a perennial first round pick was the stolen bases. And he's still a great base stealer, but there are so many good base stealers now that mm-hmm. if he is declining 40 to 50 points in batting average, and by the way, it's been more like 80 points in batting average this year. Uh, I, I just don't know how special he is anymore. I'm not saying he's not an early round pick, but I'm saying he's probably not a top five shortstop. I think that he has put a lot of pressure on himself this year with this big contract and chasing pitches. I, I think he's just trying to do more than maybe he's capable of. And the strikeout rate has gone up. He's still extremely fast. 99th percentile sprint speed could be organizational philosophy, but I think a big reason for the steals being down a sub 300 OBP. I mean, 296 OBP at this point for, for Trey Turner. That's, it's really bad. So Man, he, he's going to be a confounding player to, to analyze this offseason. Let's talk about some pitching leftovers here. Lance Lynn made his Dodger debut, and he allowed three more home runs. Thankfully, they were all solo shots. He went seven innings, three runs allowed, seven strikeouts with 16 swinging strikes. Back to his roots, pure four-seam fastball, 69% usage in this start. I mean, the problem is... You know, what happens when he faces a real offense? Right, he gives up three home runs against the the Oakland A's. It's it's pretty scary stuff. Uh, a couple other names here: Spencer Strider, nine strikeouts, thirty-one swinging strikes. That was his third game with thirty or more swinging strikes this season. Crazy stuff. Zach Eflin pitches well following his recent knee scare. He was at the Yankees, six shutout innings with five strikeouts. Kyle Bradish, seven innings, three runs, seven strikeouts at Toronto, and Pablo Lopez. Turned in a quality start at the Cardinals. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts in that one. Lots of names here. Chris, you get the first go at it. Pablo Lopez, Kyle Bradish, Zach Eflin, Strider, and Lance Lynn's debut. Uh, so, Strider uh, set a major league record for fewest innings with 200 strikeouts. Would you like to know whose record he broke? Randy Johnson. Scott, would you like to guess? I wasn't listening. <laughs> Spencer Strider's record ah, is who he go. broke last season. Makes so, sense. That was fun. Uh, Lance Lynn, there was a lot of speculation about the on Twitter about the change in pitch mix. Uh, like you said, more forcing fastballs, more curveballs. Lance Lynn does not sound like it was a conscious decision or something that the Dodgers directed him to. Quote, there's going to be games where the cutter sinker are going to be more something that we have to do to get them off the four seam and breaking ball. That's just part of pitching. Every game's different. I think you can be optimistic about this if you want. And if you were leaning towards cutting Lance Lynn, maybe you don't. But like you said, the the fact that he gave up three home runs against the A's, I think he was pretty lucky to only give up three earned runs in seven innings given that. So I, I think it's still same Lance Lynn. There's, a, there's an outcome where he's really useful the rest of the way, but it's certainly not the most likely outcome. Some quick hitting leftovers. Michael Harris went two for three with a double dong. He had three hard hits in this game. And since the start of June, 49 games now, Michael Harris batting 341 with nine home runs, eight steals. The problem, 
the counting stats have been very underwhelming, batting ninth in the Braves lineup. Francisco Alvarez went two for five with his catcher leading 21st home run. He also hit second in the lineup the first time he's done that since June 13th. And I hope that remains to be the case for Francisco Alvarez moving forward. Pete Alonzo went two for five with his 31st home run, a moonshot, 115.7 exit velocity, 429 feet. Uh, and in the second half, he's batting 271 with five homers and a 931 OPS. That'll do. Uh, Scott, anything? I have a question for you. Go ahead. Maybe a min- an hour and three minutes isn't the time for this question, but the term moonshot, I've heard it used in a variety of ways. Does it just mean a gargantuan home run of any kind, moonshot, or does it mean a particularly high, a home run that's hit particularly high, distance irrelevant? It's probably the latter, but it might be subjective. I'd like to know. Striking out the side, is that just striking out three batters regardless of what else happens in the inning, or is it striking out all three batters you face in the inning? I thought it was the... Uh, striking out the side is striking out every batter, because there was... Yeah. Someone pitched yesterday, got through... Luis Severino on Sunday night. Got three strikeouts in the first inning, gave up, what, four earned runs, six earned runs, something like that? That is not striking out the side. Well, the other question is, what is batting around? Is it getting to the 10th hitter? And I I think that's it. But striking out the side is not just getting three strikeouts. I I agree that if you say it's just getting three strikeouts, regardless of what happens, then it becomes not impressive to say he struck out the side. Like, if you want that to be an impressive accomplishment, that has to be, okay, he struck out all three batters he faced this inning. But what what is what what do you say when a hitter when a pitcher has recorded the third out in the inning leaving strikeouts out of it he's just recorded the third out in the inning you say side retired right yeah, yeah. so literally isn't striking out the side meaning no okay nope I think it's a fair question. Uh, the call to the bullpen, a few updates here for the Marlins. David Robertson entered with a one-run lead. He gave up three runs, took his fourth blown save and third loss of the season. For the Phillies, Craig Kimbrell was unavailable. Sir Anthony Domingos, Dominguez picked up his first save. For the Pirates, David Bednar struck out two for his 22nd. For the Rays, Pete Fairbanks got the final out for his 14th save. For the Brewers, Devin Williams struck out one for his 27th save. For the Blue Jays, Jordan Hicks pitched in the ninth inning with the Blue Jays down 11-3. He did give up two runs. I just thought it was notable that they used him in the ninth inning. We'll see if it means anything. For the Twins, Yoan Duran gave up a solo homer but picked up his 18th save. For the Rangers, Will Smith struck out one. Uh, for his 18th save, Aroldis Chapman pitched in the eighth inning. And uh, in the second half of the season, Will Smith has three of four saves so far for the Rangers. For the Royals, Carlos Hernandez got the top of the 10th inning. He gave up two runs, one of them earned, but wound up with the win because Brooks Raley came on in the bottom of the 10th with a two-run lead. He gave up three runs, two earned, took his third blown save and second loss of the season. So, um, And... Worth noting at this point, Adam Adovino was not traded. He so, was not. I think he pitched maybe. in the eighth inning in this game, if I remember correctly. For so th- Brooks Rayleigh has somebody lurking behind him. He has to look over his shoulder. I think so. At number zero, Adam Adovino. <laughs> For the Padres, Josh Hader entered the ninth with a uh, with one out, one on, and a three-run lead. He got the final two outs for his 26th save. 
For the Red Sox, Kenley Jansen picked up his 24th. And for the Giants, Camilo Duvall was unavailable. Sean Manaya got the final two outs for his first save of the year. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Wednesday. And uh, not great. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez at the Blue Jays. Cutter Crawford at the Mariners. And Mackenzie Gore versus the Brewers. I would not yeah. go with Gore. I would go with Grayson Rodriguez, Cutter Crawford. And if I have to pick a third, Wade Miley. Mm. Gore's Charizard, we decided last night, Chris. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I mean, I get the reference. We, we, arrived, in, we arrived at that location through different paths because I said if Blake Snell was Charizard, Mackenzie Gore is Charmander to hit his Charizard. Mm-hmm. He's just like a sure. lesser, okay. lesser yeah. version of him. Yeah, okay. I thought I thought it worked because from no, what I, I, I get it now. I, Pokemon canon, Charmander evolved to Charmeleon and then Charizard too quickly, and Ash wasn't able to. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he didn't have the the badges ready for it. Yeah. Right. So Charizard obviously extremely powerful. Yeah. But you just had no idea what he was going to do, and that's yeah, the my, same with Mackenzie Gore. My my initial reaction was very purred happily from Parks and Rec, like. I don't know what you mean, but it had the cadence of a joke. <laughs> Very good. I, I, I appreciated that. Well, on Thursday, Michael Lorenzen, Phillies. I made debut. a reference to Frank Gott. There you go. It does not happen often. Michael Lorenzen in his Phillies debut at the Marlins. Johnny Cueto versus the Phillies. Why am I reading all of these names? I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, if we're just looking at it, I guess I would say. I, I don't. I th- Brian Wu is I think, the only one. Maybe Lorenzen. I think Lorenzen's fine at the Marlins. Yeah. <sighs> sure, guys. Brian Wu at the Angels. Uh, don't love I'm any of these others. With it. All right. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.